Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Radzeski, here with Greg Baer, and we're the co-authors of When You Wonder, You're Learning, Mr. Rogers' Enduring Lessons for Raising Creative, Curious, Caring Kids. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Kelly Young, president of Education Reimagined, a national nonprofit founded by Young in 2015, Education Reimagine works to catalyze a new public education system, one that honors and respects the uniqueness of every child. Kelly, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you here, Kelly. Education Reimagine rallies educators and communities around the idea of being learner-centered. So let's start there. What does it mean to be learner-centered, and how does a learner-centered environment differ from what we might imagine when we picture, say, a typical American school or neighborhood? Learner-centered is about, as you said in the opening, recognizing the uniqueness of every child. So every child learns differently, their neurodiversity, there is a diversity of circumstance, needs, interests, aspirations, curiosities, wonderings that children have and youth. And a learner-centered system is one that is designed actually to put that at the center and allow young people to have unique pathways of learning that capitalize on their gifts, on their assets, on their curiosities, and get them where they're going. And that is different from our conventional system and how it is designed, because it was designed for standardized delivery of teaching. And a learner-centered system, in contrast to that, is designed for maximizing learning as opposed to standardizing teaching. So some of the ways that our standardized system makes the delivery of education more efficient is that you learn the same thing in classes, your age cohorted, you divide learning up into subjects, it's focused on knowledge transfer rather than skills transfer. Another big shift in learner-centered is the aim of the education system. Rather than being about how do you get all children to have the same content knowledge and then rank them and sort them based on common assessments, learner-centered is really about how does every young person discover who they are, what their gifts are, and how to contribute those meaningfully to the world. So this idea of learner-centeredness really envisions a future in which, you know, students, their natural eagerness to discover and wonder and learn is fostered throughout their lives. And that sounds exciting and wonderful and like something we can all get behind. I'm curious if you could walk us through what that future might look like in action. Sure. And we have videos of hypothetical days, too, that people can check out. We did short animations on our website called The Big Idea. To give a a snapshot, let's pick a 15-year-old who starts in an advisory they go to a home base so they have a safe place to go to with other young people, with a guide who is the person who's responsible for helping them set their learning goals with their family, who is helping them decide what is the learning pathway, what are the set of experiences that they're going to have that are going to get them the skills they need to get where they're going, whether that be a college or career and or pathway. They are spending some amount of time there getting connected, making their plans, This child might have an internship that they do two days a week, similar to the big picture learning model. They might have a series of classes that are a combination of in-person and virtual classes. They might be working on a service project with a local nonprofit, 
trying to solve a problem of homelessness in their community and mix of some kind of sports, art, depending on what their interests are. And they might be doing that in a, something that looks like a school setting, or they might be doing it at the art center or at a real theater or in a church basement that has, you know, has a theater, for example. But it's going to be a mix of being in a common place with young people that they have friends and relationship and the adults that really know them well and being out in the community doing engaging, authentic learning experiences. Kelly, I remember when my daughters were born saying to friends and colleagues, I imagine that they'll graduate from a high school that you and I would know and an experience that was familiar. But if that's all they have, I feel like I'll have failed them in some way. And you've described a landscape and experience that suggests a different type of possibility, one that is really exciting. So let's talk about how we get from where we've been to where we want to go. And this is where Reimagine Education comes in, because you have multiple programs and pillars designed to get us closer to that world. So can you tell us about some of your efforts to lay that groundwork for a learner-centered future? So the first pillar is sharing a vision, just helping people see that there is an alternative to the way that we got education designed 100 years ago. You know, education wasn't always the way that we know it as school. You know, when you say transforming education, most people immediately think transforming school because that's the way we've always known it. But it wasn't always that way, and, you know, people got together and designed it and gave universal access to it. So our proposition is that we can do the same thing today. That system got us to universal coverage and universal access. It never got us to universal attainment and universal achievement of a fulfilling life. And so given the the economy that we have today, the world that we have today, helping people just imagine what we call an ecosystem of learning could look like, one where you really view the community as a playground for learning rather than a single building. What does it look like to have well-connected out-of-school time, some programs, programs that enable young people to easily connect with things that spur their interests, go deeper on them, get them new wondering, new curiosities, So that's one major pillar. A second one is that we find people all over the country who already share this mindset for learner-centric education. So for us, this is more than just a shift in how you do education. It's a mindset shift in how you see kids, how you see learning, and what you see the purpose of education is. And once you've had that mindset shift, you would design radically different models of education. And I say that word radical It's actually based on all of the learning science, all of what we know that's great about creating engaging learning environments for kids. So it's not a radical idea, but it is radically different than what we currently have. So that second piece is building a network of people who are already building these new designs of education and helping them have shared language, shared vision, and shared commitment to expanding access to this kind of learning to more and more children across the country. And then the third thing we're focused on is given that this new system of learning does not exist. So there are models that exist precariously, I would say, inside of the current system where the systems of standardization really make it very challenging for this work to sustain itself. And so oftentimes we see a school going up and a really innovative school, and then in a few years with a change of leadership, you'll see that same place closed down. And it's because the systems aren't there to enable it. Uh, long term. It's really held up despite the systems. Kelly, another thing Education Reimagined does is sort of elevate 
the experiences of the students and learners who are in these demonstration systems. Can you give us a sense of what kids are saying about this kind of learning? You know, what gets them really fired up? What are they telling adults that they need? Well, one, if you ever want to be convinced about the power of learner-centered education, talk to a young person who has had access to it. It is really inspiring, and you begin to see that something else is possible and that the world would be a different place if we educated our youth differently. And the things that they will say immediately, right off the bat, is relationship. They talk about the way the adults treat them as uh, partners in their own education. They listen to them. They respond to them. They co-create with them. So it's one where they feel respected and heard. For probably the first... (laughs) 15 minutes that you talk to a young person, they will talk about that that kind of relationship. And they'll say that learner-centered educators care about them, and sometimes they might even describe their conventional education system as one where the adults didn't care about them. But you and I know that that's not true, that the other adults didn't care about them. And so the reason I will assert that they feel that way is that the system do not allow the adults in the conventional system to respond in a way that models care. So if you hear from a student, for example, that they're not understanding what's happening, let's say in a conventional math class, right, that's very linear, has a timeline, has a scope and sequence, you have to get it done in 180 days, and you have a student who's struggling, and the student tells the teacher that, and the teacher hears them, tries their best to do something, and then moves on, the young person immediately says that that person doesn't care about me because if they did, if they cared about me, they would have helped me. And so that's a systemic problem. That teacher has to do a scope and sequence and do what they're supposed to do in 180 days, not a caring issue. But it looks like a caring issue from the perspective of a child. Another thing is you find out that a young person is really interested, I'll take my son, for example, in watches and cars, anything mechanical. And he has actually gone to his own teachers to say, can you incorporate this in some way in school? And they say they will, but then they don't. And it's not because they you know, thought they were going to be lying to him, but they realize as time goes on, there is no way for them to do that for all the kids. They can't even do it for one child. So we have systems and structures that keep adults from acting in the way that a young person would experience somebody caring about them, taking their interests into account, taking needs and circumstances, being able to go at different paces to get information, helping them get information in different ways, especially if you've got neurodiversity, if you're dyslexic, you have ADHD, all the things. If you're not able to accommodate that, that occurs for kids who's not caring. But number two, they will tell you what they're learning about, and they will share their excitement over the things they're doing. So if you have a young person like I do in a conventional system, trying to get them to tell you what they've done in school is very challenging. (laughs) What did you do in school today? Nothing. (laughs) You know, and you try all the more specific questions. Who did you sit next to at lunch? But anyway, there's nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, when you talk to a young person from a learner-centered site, they're excited to tell you what they're up to, what they're learning about, what they're curious about, what they are excited they're going to study next. So let's talk more about what we grown-ups can do to nurture those relationships. Because we know, too, that adults will say the same thing. And 
can we find opportunities that the adults themselves in kids' lives can bring their own passions and interests and be part of lighting up those learning environments for their students as much as the students can bring their passions and interests? This is Greg Bear along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Kelly Young, president and founder of Education Reimagined. Kelly, you mentioned the idea earlier of demonstration systems, some of which may exist precariously. They might be scattered across the country. Can you tell us a little bit more about those demonstration systems? We're obviously huge fans here in Pittsburgh of this ecosystem approach, with this being the home of Remake Learning. Where else might families, students, communities see examples of this? And what might they learn from those examples? So we have pieces of what we would call learner-centered ecosystems, but not all of the pieces in a co-located spot. So I'm going to talk about some of the pieces that you could see, even though they are going to be not representative of what the whole is. There are some systemic changes that have to happen in order to enable this. One of those is competency-based credentialing of learning over Mm -hmm. seat time. If how you are credentialing the acquisition of knowledge or skills is sitting in a seat for 180 days, right, that is not going to be conducive to being able to credential an internship, a project, a, a lab that you've done in chemistry. And so there are a lot of structural changes like that And where you will see those is in learner-centered sites. So Big Picture, uh, Montessori, Reggio, Iowa Big, Norris Academy in Wisconsin. We have a map on our website of places that you can go to where you can see where people have systemically changed how learning happens to center kids' interests, needs, and circumstances, and that they have unique pathways, and they're actually able to get all the credentials to be able to graduate and further education of their choice. What might be missing from some of those is much of the community participating. So all of the sites I just mentioned fully enable young people to be out in their community having authentic learning experiences. Big Picture chooses two days of internships. Iowa Big chooses community-based projects for that learning. Others choose service learning or apprenticeships as their model. Now I'll look at the models that have started on the out-of-school time space where they have even a much richer, I would say, diversity of learning experiences that you can have access to, but they're not necessarily credentialed. They're not tied back to the education system in a way that somebody is helping them really navigate that, connect those interests, and make sure it's on their transcript. But those are places like Remake Learning where an amazing effort has gone into building the capacity of the out-of-school time space and the connectedness of it so that you are increasing access so that every child could find something that really either furthers their interest or ignites a new passion or interest for them. And so that's an example of what can emerge from the out-of-school time. We often say that where a lot of learner-centered people are is in that out-of-school time space. They really are designed to get to know a child, discover what their interests, and help them go further in that. Kelly, I'm really intrigued by this idea of linking learner-centered environments out of school with what's happening in school, this idea of changing the way we credential learning, changing the way that we offer students pathways into the world that count for academic credit. And I'm curious about the role of policy in making that happen and making systems and structures change. What's been the response from policymakers when Education Reimagined lays out a vision like this? So policy is critical to this because policy is what keeps the current system in place. And it's also what you can free people and organizations and communities up from so that they can invent an alternative. 
And I said invent, and I said that specifically because we're not at a point in time where we can scale an alternative system. A lot of people are saying because of COVID, there's a lot of opportunity, and there is. There's an immense amount. Parents have seen something different. They want something different. A lot of institutions that were always on the periphery of a child's education became central because of COVID, needing safe places to be and engaging learning experiences. And yet, looking to scale at the moment, we would say is the wrong instinct with regards to systems transformation. We're still talking about how do you invent the constructs, the supports, the systems that would make a new system just as convenient for parents, just as reliable as our current system, but reliable to do different things, which is for kids to discover who they are, what their gifts are, and how they can contribute those meaningfully to the world. So from a policy perspective, what we need is communities, pockets of people in the country, having the freedom to invent these new systems. And I think we're seeing that around the country. Competency-based, for example, exists in most states now. We're doing a policy scan at the moment of all 50 states so that we can begin to see a heat map of where are some of the best policy conditions to invent and hopefully incentivize other states to want to move in this direction to be able to create this space of innovation and invention in their state as well. Kelly, you've mentioned the big idea, which is expressed in, among other things, videos via Education Reimagined's website, and we really encourage listeners to check these out. Can you tell us a little bit more about the big idea, what you hope these big ideas accomplish, and Kelly, what's your big idea? So the big idea is to invent an alternative system of education, not just alternative models. What we've been trying over the past 100 years is to get new models of education inside of the current system without actually designing entirely a different system. That's one part of the big idea. The second and probably more influential part of the big idea is that seeing communities as the playground for learning, not a building. And that if you really were to build a system that was designed for the uniqueness of a child's curiosities and interests, you wouldn't limit what they had access to to the people of a single building. You would actually build a system that was designed to have the capability of finding the experiences for a young person and getting them into the communities and mentorships and experiences that allow them to nurture those curiosities and interests and turn them into real skills and mastery over time. The exercise that we did, we said, if you had started just with the principle of what learner-centered education is, what would you have designed? And we realized that since it's not school that you would have designed, you would have designed home bases, which are safe places for kids to go and be with other kids and play and have turning adults. And then you would have separate from a home base where you set those goals and design those learning pathways, you'd have learning hubs. Those might be transformed schools that have become STEM labs or arts labs. Girls and boys clubs are learning hubs, YMCAs, our libraries, our community centers. And what home base you go to does not determine what learning hub you go to. You could have access to all of those learning hubs, which is very distinct from our current notion of education that where I get assigned limits what I have access to. I get assigned to school A, I only have access to the adults in building A. And if physics is not taught there, I can't get physics, which is a very strange model when you start thinking an ecosystem model. And also in an ecosystem, you had field sites. That's literally anything in your community can be turned into a learning asset. 
whether it's a mechanic shop, the gas station, the wastewater sewage plant, the airport, a convenience store, the library, a nonprofit in your community, a group of activists, all of that, all of those places can become field sites for internships, apprenticeships, service learning, mentorship, job shadowing. And what a public education system becomes is a system to be able to allow you to have transportation, funding, uh, navigation, safe custodial care, right? All of the things to enable that to be a coherent learning journey rather than something that a parent or family would have to navigate on their own. Kelly, how can people find out more about the work Education Reimagined is doing? So check out the Big Idea microsite and also check out our website at educationreimagined.org. Certainly on our website is the vision and thousands of stories of young people, educators who have been at this for decades, sharing the impact that learner-centered education has had on them. Kelly, before we go, just one last question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? Talk to young people and practice listening to them without the lens of, I know better than they do. That's something that people can let go of and maybe replace it with a sense of, what is this young person interested in? What are they curious about? What are they wondering about? To come back to this podcast theme and help them get connected to that thing. And parents can play an an amazing role in being able to do that. But so can educators. Thanks again to Kelly Young, president and founder of Education Reimagined. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning. Learn more at remakelearning.org.